Welcome to Keeping It Secure, the Hashicast show about security trends, cloud adoption challenges, and security innovation. Join your hosts, DevOps Rob and DevOps Adil, as we tackle the complexities of cloud security and industry-wide challenges. All right, Keeping It Secure, episode four. It's the one and only DevOps Rob, one of your co-hosts. We are back. Uh, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, DevOps Adil, and we have a special one today. We have, for the first time, a guest on the show. Adil, do you want to say hello and introduce the guest? Hello. Yeah, this is uh, Adil, DevOps Adil, and yeah, super excited for our guest, and uh, yeah, today's going to be a little different. Hey, listeners, do you think Adil is still sounding like a guest, or does he sound like he's at home on his own podcast show? Let me know what you think. <laughs> but yeah, thanks to a deal, we've been able to secure our first guest on the show. Uh, I think this is a really good guest uh, based on the uh, episodes we've done before. We should be able to get some context behind some of the assumptions that we're making. Uh, so I'd say a deal, seeing as you did the honors of getting this guest, do you want to introduce the guest? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so our guest is, uh, his name is Jamie Barrett. So Jamie and I, uh, we worked together, uh, in a, in a, in a, in the past life uh, where Jamie was working in the capacity of, uh, risk and controls. And, uh, um, we worked together on the adoption of the cloud, uh, and we've seen things, uh, and obviously we, we are both come from a different viewpoint. Um, so I think I'm going to, I'm going to just let Jamie really introduce himself, uh, you know, what, what he did and where he's now. And I suppose we kick it off from there. Hey, thanks. Um, yeah, thanks for the intro. So, um, as Adil mentioned, my kind of background is in risk and controls. Um, so I started off in internal audit, technology, internal audit. Um, I've spent my whole career in financial services up until now where I've made the transition into, um, a startup called Ask Porter, um, who are an AI uh, platform and we aut- automate the management of places, assets, and people. Um, so I'm actually working primarily as a front-end developer there, um, getting to use a bit of Terraform as well, um, but not so much at the moment. Um, but yeah, as Adil said previously, risk and controls, um, a lot of my roles were more hybrid, so I was doing data analysis alongside the more traditional kind of controls assurance work, um, and that's kind of what's led me led me to where I am today. Yes, great stuff. I was going to say, was well, the first thing is that, Jamie, I know you've heard um, our first kind of, uh, where, where I was officially a guest, episodes, uh, what part one and part two, and you've heard there. And uh, um, I know a lot of that you probably could relate to, uh, or uh, I hope you don't feel like, oh, actually, a lot, a lot of that is uh, uh, complaining uh, about uh, any one team. So first of all, I just want to clear that out, Jamie. Yeah? There's nothing there against you. But, you know, I, I really, I just want to get your thoughts. Uh, let's start off with really um, your thoughts on some of the discussions we've made, right? And um, maybe uh, either, let's start with actually, let's understand your viewpoint uh, of the cloud in the context, of some of the stuff that I was saying uh, and your experience on that, really. Um, and if there's anything that you feel that uh, was different, and I'm, I'm happy to be corrected, really. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess, you know, traditionally, um, or I guess still at the moment, a lot of controls teams aren't really 
um, I wouldn't say not equipped, but aren't as experienced um, with cloud environments. And I think especially in, in banking, we're seeing that it's, um, I'm not saying it's a new thing in banking, but in terms of moving an entire bank into the cloud or attempting to move an entire bank into cloud, it's a fairly recent thing. And I don't think there's many like huge success cases that even the cloud providers can can say, um, you know, we've got this use case, we're just going to lift and shift it and drop it into bank XYZ. Um, so I think for that reason, what you'll find is that the risk and controls teams and audit teams um, in these financial institutions are slightly new um, to cloud. Um, and anything we do do in that space or did do in that space, you know, it's kind of, I say, learning on a job to an extent, but you're still applying these traditional controls principles. Because at the end of the day, if we're saying you need to secure, um, say, access, it's it's not that we're saying it has to be done the same way as on-prem. It's that those controls still will need to exist. They're going to be in a totally different form, as you've alluded to in some of the earlier episodes. Um, so, yeah, I think you'll find that, especially in financial institutions. I think maybe if you look outside, um, it, it may not be the same because I know there's other um, big institutions that moved over to the cloud completely a long time ago. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I remember you and I, when we were working together at point, the point where you and I started to work together, it was at the point where technically our team has built the platform, GCP platform in this case, and uh, we were pretty much raring to go. We wanted uh, uh, um, uh, the developers to come on board, uh, but then we had to spend a significant amount of time uh, with your team uh, doing those assessments uh, uh, and those controls, right? In hindsight, and, and and this is really remember when afterwards, when we was on the uh, third floor, we were trying this new process where we could do things interestingly. But that was driven pretty much by your initial uh, where you your your, your te- you and your team had come in uh, and were doing this kind of really all of this assessment, and we, which kind of happened right at the end when we were trying to do. It. What what were your thoughts on that? I mean, I could tell you my perspective at that point. In hindsight. And maybe it's because how it's kind of traditionally done is that the, those assessments, including security, kind of happens right at the end, and there seems to be, or it's perceived to be, a, a, a quite a long delay there. What about your? What are your thoughts on that? And what, were they? Because I, I also re- recognize that you, you, you and your team felt quite busy as well at that point. So what were your experiences? I suppose you could share your perspective when you came in at that point, where you know near to the where. Technically speaking, we were ready to award applications, but then we, we've had to kind of give you that time to look yeah. into the assessment. Yeah, so I, I think for me, controls shouldn't be an afterthought, and it, it should have been something that came far earlier in the process. It, it would be like taking a business requirement, um, working it through with relevant stakeholders, and then saying, okay, this is what we can do. Um, you know, this is how things are going to be different and new, and this is, this is where mindsets may need to change. But as you say, coming in like after the fact, um, makes things way more difficult. And especially if, if you don't have a team that's big enough, I guess. Um, I think ultimately a, a better way of doing it would obviously be involved from the design stage. As you said, we did um, kind of start moving to that after. And I, th- I thought it was hugely beneficial, especially where we can just sit down and say, look, these are the, the risks from our view, um, our understanding of, of the risks that are going to be introduced by doing this. We can then discuss whether they exist or not. Um, and then how you'll go about mitigating those using controls. Um, and where controls are not needed um, because of the way things are done in the cloud or where uh, controls are, are kind of driven by the cloud provider. So that shared responsibility uh, model that you guys have touched on. 
um, we can talk all that through up front before the thing has been built. Um, but yeah, coming in after. Um, so if you look at like internal audit, they will always be, well, they're trying not to so much now, but they will always be coming back after the matter. And they'll be looking at a period in the past and saying, you know, these things are broken and this is what you may need to fix. Whereas I think, yeah, in if you're trying to do controls in a project, it needs to come up front and it needs to be it needs to be before. Um, so yeah, uh, I'd agree that it would work better if that was if you know controls were embedded in the design rather than added in after. Um, one thing I'd probably add there, sorry, is I think yeah, put kind of doing controls after leads to a lot of manual controls because people are just saying how do we get this over the line. So you'll have people that may choose to put some sort of manual process in place rather than a kind of robust automated control. And that makes things way more difficult for everyone, right? So the operator, um, the person who's going to have to review it, and then even a controls team coming in and having to, to test it, it's more difficult to test something that's manual. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I think we can all agree that um, that process in itself is something that's, I suppose, larger than us as in like there seems to be this kind of there's this missing link uh right at the top and it, it could be that it it's been a, it's a given and and maybe and, and i and i would say that maybe even the developers or the kind of infrastructure maybe we should also be taking ownership of saying hey why don't we get risk controls involved in, in the beginning i do that and uh, so there is massive there is a massive kind of process gap and it feel, it, it almost feels like and it sounds like it's not just the developers and infra who are suffering, but also risk controls. That's what it sounds like, Jamie. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's fair to say it makes everyone's job a lot harder, right? Um, yeah, it's something that a controls team would, would need to be involved in up front. Um, I was thinking about yesterday how many other teams are involved as well. And I think you look in our project uh, specifically, you'd have like up to eight teams involved in, in this one thing um, from all different parts of the organization. Um, so yeah, I, I think it'd benefit everyone to have those kind of upfront um, discussions. Yeah. What are you thinking, Rob? Um, so I'm kind of curious here. So we're talking about the controls itself. And I'd like to form an understanding of how much of these controls are driven by regulatory bodies, um, the company's security posture, and you know, like the general uh, business view on the impact of if the worst were to happen like what are the real drivers behind these yeah sure so i think it's a mix of, of all of the above right so there's definitely and again like my background is financial services so it's a very reg heavy environment um along with all your kind of standard uh, data protection laws etc so um a lot of it's going to come from there um but then yeah in terms of protecting your assets etc etc you'll have infosec involved for example and they'll be um, specifying what their control requirements are. Um, you'll have policies that are set across the board um, and they'll drive control. They'll, I, I wouldn't say they drive controls directly. It's, it's more a case of they'll drive the implementation of a control because they'll specify how something should be done or what a minimum requirement is. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, ultimately it should all be risk-based, but you have to factor in the fact that there's um, going to be reg drivers and thinking back and, and if we look at like the fca um you know they're continuously clarifying their regulations um because they're not clear enough right so because people are looking at them and interpreting it one way and then another organization may do the same i think one of the things in there is around do we really have to um get independent assurance over all of the cloud providers um subcontractors 
clearly that's not something uh, a bank would do. That's something on the, the cloud provider themselves. So the fact that, you know, these regulators are issuing um, updates like that says that there's still a lot left for them to do in terms of specifying exactly what it is that they're after. And what exactly has your experience been with dealing with these regulatory bodies? I mean, it sounds like things are getting a bit better at the moment, but in the earlier stages, um, how do you navigate uh, the, I'll just call them gray areas. Like, how do you navigate that? Yeah, so I mean, personally, I was quite lucky in that it wasn't directly in my role. So there, there were teams that were specifically working on that uh, regulatory engagement um, and keeping the reg regulators happy, basically. But in terms of requiring, uh, you know, gathering documentation for regulators, um, I can see how cumbersome it can be because, um, you know, they'll be asking for, for kind of details on controls that may not have been built yet, right? It's because they're, they're going to give you a go ahead before you move into the cloud, say, or you need to be in a position before you actually make that jump. Um, so gathering that level of information on controls that may not exist was definitely a challenge. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Oh, uh, yeah. So back to you, Adil. Yeah, I was going to say, it was just interesting because um, Rob and I, we, we talked about this in one of our, um, when we talked about the report, about how we do feel like there is, uh, there possibly is a, a gap in, in, in the kind of regulatory uh, policies, or is it that it's not understood well, or or, uh, or obviously how, how clear that is. And obviously now... We, we, we kind of see, given that, Jamie, you or, or you know, the, the trade that you were in, you would have been kind of the primary consumers of, kind of reading those policies and trying to interpret that uh, for our org. One of the things I was going to say was I've noticed a couple of things I'm, not, uh, I'm picking up on what you're saying, right? And this is something I, I was, again, I, I, Rob and I talked about this, is that from a, a developer or, or, or an infra perspective, the light, that security or risk and controls, it seems to be quite blurred, and it's blurred. I, I get that obviously risk and controls has some overlap to security, but it sounds like almost, because you mentioned about how you work with security, uh, and essentially they will do the enforcement. Is that is that the case? As in, in your experience, has it always been that way? Actually, the people that you liaise with, uh, so it sounds like risk and controls, they have one side they're liaising with the regulations, and the other side is basically essentially advising uh, XYZ to go ahead and enforce that. Is it the case that, and it, from what I've understood in the pattern that I see, it sees that security are really uh, that group that you tend to liaise with a lot, and then security thereafter become the interface for, for everyone else. Is, is that been kind of your experience that that's the pattern that you've seen as well? So I guess if, just again, keep going back to like what traditional assurance would be, and if you start all the way in the third line, which is internal audit, they'd be taking, uh, or should be taking kind of complete independence coming in saying, these are the expected controls and, and they won't be designing the controls and they won't be um, dictating what the control implementation should be. They'll be saying, what have you got? Um, is it designed adequately and does it work properly? So is it operating effectively? Um, and I think, you know, con control risk and control teams would be doing a similar thing um, in terms of taking, you know, it's not quite an independent view because clearly we, we can provide a bit more detail being in, in that first line, but you'd still have the InfoSec specialists who are defining the actual control implementation. So yeah, if you want to you want to um, secure the cloud, um, again, maybe as access as an example, we may say that you, you, know, you need to have privileged access management controls in place. Clearly how you go about achieving that across the board is going to be a big job. 
Um, and that's something that, you know, the engineering team will solutionize and InfoSec will definitely input into that. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I think uh, Jamie's just touched on something that I actually wanted to dig into a bit more. Uh, so on a previous episode, Adila and I were talking about some of these controls and the implementation of them and who should uh, dictate how the controls are implemented, right? So essentially, um, we think that it should be engineers because these are engineering solutions, these controls. Um, and actually, I, I was listening to uh, the Google security uh, podcast and uh, they, they made a comment on there saying that uh, creators are brilliant at creating things, right? But sometimes the things that they create uh, do not scale very well. Whereas an engineer will create things that are scalable. So just kind of going by their definition, assuming that's true, who do you think, in your opinion, should be dictating the implementation of these controls? Like, should it be the engineers that are dictating this? Or do you have uh, a different opinion that uh, maybe Adil and I haven't considered? Uh, yeah, that'd be good to hear from you. Yeah, so I think if we go back to, to thinking about these uh, controls being, you know, like a design requirement, how, how would you as an engineer then go about um, building that? You wouldn't, like, so if a business person came to you and said, we need to connect to an exchange, um, they then wouldn't necessarily be telling you what API calls you're going to make, um, how you're going to authenticate and things like that. So that's where you, you kind of get into the engineering part, I think. Um, and ultimately, these controls, you know, it's not something that a risk and controls team would make up. It's something that is already out there. There's a lot of documentation. You've got a lot of standards that, that kind of determine what controls, um, you know, can be used to, to mitigate certain risks, etc. Um, so, yeah, I think from a risk and controls perspective, it would be a case of uh, sitting down, um, agreeing what this control actually means, first of all, because then you need to go and build against that. Um, and then from there, of course, you know, risk and controls again would be in a position to review that and say whether it's meeting the control objective or if it falls short for whatever reason. Um, and there may be cases where a control falls short, but there's mitigating uh, factors or mitigating controls um, that mean that there's, you know, there's a reduced risk. So, um, yeah. And also in terms of uh, risk and uh, compliance, how empowered do you feel to challenge the status quo? Um, and what I mean by that is like kind of commonly held uh, beliefs. Um, so like Adil and I, we, we've been doing this show and we've said some things that are pretty controversial. Um, and they are mainly controversial because, uh, not actually because they are actual controversial things, but some of the things we're saying, people just would never consider even thinking about these things. And when you ask them why, they don't really have an answer. They just go with the commonly held view. So uh, from a risk and compliance point of view, like, do you feel empowered to kind of challenge some of the things that these these papers are saying? Um, and, you know, just, you know, validate that this, in fact, is the best approach? Yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's a good point. I think these things are evolving, um, I guess, as organizations' understandings evolve. Um, so you've got like the uh, Cloud Security Alliance with their CCM, um, so their Cloud Controls Matrix. Um, and I think there's maybe episode one, we spent quite a bit of time talking about firewall security and, and controls around that. I think that's a good example where if you read something in black and white, it, it may kind of just say security endpoints, um, you know, firewall 
firewalls on endpoints. Um, but then, as Adil says, if you can achieve that at a high level, um, e.g. like GCP firewalls, why would you not do that? Why would you do it at a low level and potentially make your environment more complex than it needs to be? So I think they're good points where maybe some of these, I think it's more a case of, of good examples being out there. So like you, as an engineer, may have Stack Overflow to go to um, and say, right, this is how I'm going to implement something or base your implementation on that. To my knowledge, there's, there's nothing of that sort um, for a risk and controls team or for an engineer to go and say, actually, what does this control actually mean? Or how have you, how have you um, in another organization, implemented this control in this cloud environment? There isn't that, um, that kind of forum, I'd say. Um, or if there is, it's not very big, and I don't know anyone that would use it. So, I noticed, um, Jamie, you've been mentioning if you gave example of access that we talked about uh, in a privilege access management. But I also noticed that you're talking about there are a list of standards controls. What I've noticed from from the conversation I'm having with you, and and this this kind of I suppose uh, mirrors the conversation that I've had uh, with risk and controls or, or or security, is that there seems to be a lot of uh, stipulation of controls. Uh, it doesn't seem to be much about okay, what are the risks, given that okay, so and I'm trying to think here, it's like. When you say, for example, privileged access management, I remember when we we, we talked about Vault uh, and we both looking at privileged access management for Vault. In the beginning, I remember I was saying to you, oh, "Well, there is no privileged access management because we block SSH. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna log into Vault at all." It, it, I remember we had we had this conversation. But then we said, "Oh, well, yes, there is a break glass process which is separate, uh, you know, in terms of regenerating that root token." And at that point, there's going to be obviously a separate monitoring of that. But I remember when. When the question was asked from from your team about okay how are we monitoring logging into vault and at which point I said well we're not logging into vault so I think what it coming back it comes back to is that we're asking for controls or you're asking for controls um, but maybe these controls are not applicable or as in even at a high level I, I know I appreciate what you're saying is here is like look we will we will specify controls and how that's enforced is up to the, the engineering team or security. But again, it still feels like we're asking for, or risk controls are asking for controls as opposed to saying, well, these are the risks. How do you propose to have these controls? Or do you, is, is it because your team or risk and controls traditionally feel responsible for also defining these controls? Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting point. I think like probably the, the emphasis of these past couple of podcasts has probably been more on controls right and I think that's where the conversation has, has kind of naturally led to talking about controls um, but I think it's a key point that you raised earlier which is having the discussions up front and agreeing what the risks are and it may be that in development you don't uh, those risks are not relevant right once you've done a bit more research as a developer or engineer um, so I think yeah if we take a step back it's always going to be from the risk and from there we can then derive which controls um, what we're then saying is you've also got a library of existing controls that you can kind of leverage um, so you understand what a good control is or you can define what a good control is and what it should look like. Um, so it's not saying by any means that you should start with controls because clearly that would result in, um, yeah, a lot more controls than you need. And I, I think, you know, we saw that in the later disc design discussions where um, you start to focus more on what is the product, what are the risks associated with the product, and then how do we mitigate those through controls. Got it. Um, Understood. So yeah. they're more like guidelines kind of thing, right? So like these are kind of examples uh, that would be used to kind of mitigate X, Y, Z risk or something, right? To and an then it's not about, and so it's more about discovering and establishing, is it a risk? Uh, uh, and if it is, then these are 
examples of which can be used to mitigate those risks. Is that what is that what you're saying essentially? I think that's fair to say. Um, so yeah, it, it's a. I mean, for assurance teams and internal audit, and I know Rob has something to to say here as well. But um, you know, again, the the starting point is always risk. You wouldn't perform an audit if there wasn't a risk associated with the the business process. Um, and then from there, once you've lined up your risks, it's a case of saying, okay, what controls would you expect? Um, to be there to mitigate those risks. Yeah, so I think, like you said, we've gotten into the realms of controls. And I feel like uh, some of the things you said, I think I kind of already know uh, your answer to this, but I just want to ask uh, just so we can hear it clear as day as to what you're thinking about this. So you may recall on a previous episode, Adil gave uh, the, the military definition of defense in depth, uh, whereby you don't actually protect uh, at several layers. What you do is you protect the core and uh, you monitor how the attacks are coming in. So that way you can learn about the different types of attacks that are coming in. And he made that comparison to the computer science way of doing things, right? So I guess my question around uh, that is like you've you've heard Adil's opinion. I know you, you listened to that episode. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, is there anything specific about it that that you you strongly disagree with, or anything that you think is a particularly good approach about it? Um, yeah, I just kind of want to hear uh, just kind of some thoughts around that, and just in general, uh, maybe just get some conversation started around uh, this area here, because I'd be interested to hear if you have any opposing views to that. It's a really good topic. Yeah, sure. And I think Adil kind of started off with the the wiki definition, right, of um, military defense in depth, which, uh, yeah, as I understand, is, is something completely different. Um, I think yeah defense in depth maybe starts more with a, a traditional environment where you're talking about like physical layers um then you have your your actual hardware etc so there it may become more applicable what i would say is if you're only going to have a control at one layer say in the cloud um it's obviously about making sure that that control is bulletproof right and that you've also got detective controls should something go wrong so if you're for example relying on config um to do something like limit who's coming into your environment um then clearly if that was to change um, and drift from config, you need a control in place um, that would detect that. So yeah, it may just be rather than talking about controls at layers, it's like almost a control around that layer, right? Or two controls around that layer. One is the preventive and one is the detective. So um, yeah, I don't I don't see that as a bad thing. I think the, the clearer you can make your controls, the easier they are to maintain, explain. Um, and also for testers, right? It's easier to test the control it's crystal clear so um yeah i i don't have any a bad thing to say about that thinking but i i would say i think it does still apply to the traditional environment you would limit who can access your data center um and you would access who can who can um access your network so yeah and in terms of the uh, whole risk and compliance uh, industry uh just based on your experience uh, in that sector there um how do you think they would receive some of these ideas that Adil has put forth? Um, do you think that uh, it will be met with a lot of resistance or do you kind of have uh, maybe some hope that they would be able to engage it with a bit more of an open mind and maybe see some positives in it? And like, essentially, we're trying to see, do they see some of the positives that you see? Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think, you know, maybe potentially uh, traditionalists and and 
people that have no exposure to the cloud yet may take a while to get to get used to a lot of things um, and a lot of, of new kind of concepts. Um, but I don't think people would be against control simplification, right? Because there's there's always going to be a big agenda around control simplification. Costs, um, again, testability is becomes a lot easier, um, and you you can get a better level of assurance that it's working. So the less controls have you have, the more controls that will get covered um, if if you've got the same size team. Um, so I don't think there would be resistance, but I think there will be um, a transition period maybe for people that haven't worked on cloud at all and we'll, we'll look to move on to cloud so yeah I mean, you know i want to i want to call to, i want to call out two things here right <laughs> and i'll rather be sort of raising these hands he wants to talk but i want to say two things here first here is that uh, you touched upon something that uh I, you know rob and i actually recorded uh, in our last episodes that actually you know if you are saying that the second layered risk i'm quoting in the air here the second layered control rather um is actually not necessarily a layer, but it's rather it's controlling the risk of this human uh, uh, error, let's just say. So where, where we know there is human intervention, you know, we can all agree where there is a process of human intervention, there is an inevitable human error. So what are we do, going to do about uh, when this, you know, someone had by mistake has opened up a firewall port or something, or by mistake someone has uh, um, not um, done the kind of mutual TLS encryption. So it sounds like almost you know you agree with me here that actually if we do add that network control, that's not a layered control and therefore it's not redundant. Rather, this is this control is a risk that human risk. What that we're trying to so, which I get, but this is a it's not it's not really called out. Secondly, what are we doing? Uh, I, I mean, about the human piece uh, again, is that from you? As in, would you traditionally think, in your opinion, that something like risk and compliance? should actually be saying, hey, why don't you remove the human altogether? Is that something that generally risk controls would be determined? Or, or really, at this point, you're saying is that, and actually the other thing is, you mentioned about this human risk, right? So would you just say, what how can, what can we do to avoid uh, human being in, in the process altogether? That's number one. I'm giving you two loaded questions here, right? Second one is about the network piece you mentioned. Now you're saying, I know you're saying that, oh, yeah, well, actually, it's control simplification here. Yeah. But I want to say is actually, look, is there were, I remember when you uh, sent out these kind of lists of controls. I know you say they're, they're all kind of a list and see which ones uh, are applicable or not. But on those controls, I remember uh, they, there was a whole section around network, network segmentation, uh, which included things like whole space firewalls. And the thing is, though, so I, and I'm going to put it bluntly, is that if I was, what is the risk or what what is the purpose of adding these controls? Is it that obviously we're trying to isolate an application and and the data associated with it from uh, a, a an application that obviously it doesn't need to know? Yeah. So if that's the case, and I said, oh, okay, I've secured or assured that there is application isolation through. Say mutual TLS. Let's just say, yeah, using the kind of TLS authentication both server side and client side. Therefore, I'm going to have both dev and prod in the same subnet. You know, how how would you take that? And how how would you, in your opinion, how does the team how would the team take that? And if you think there's there's an issue with it, what's the risk here? Cool. So two questions. One is, should we remove humans? I think the first one in terms of from the process, not yeah, from the world, but. Yeah. The second is more around if you've got a generic controls list, um, how does it apply to my thing that I'm working on? Um, so, yeah, 
I, I'll start with the, the second one. I, I think one thing that may not have been clear is the controls framework that we were working with was all encompassing, right? Um, we had a, and you know, in that scenario, we had a physical environment. Um, there was colo involved and there was cloud, which you were working on specifically. So that's probably where um, the lines become a bit blurred. You coming in and saying, actually, like I only care about um, Vault and GK, why are any of these controls relevant? And I, again, I think it comes back to that's why those early design discussions are important because then we agree, okay, these are the risks. These are the controls that we're going to use to mitigate those risks and you will never be left staring at a, a list of controls. Like if, for example, if I sent you CCM now, 200 plus controls, you'd be like, okay, no, yeah, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to me, but it will, it will apply to some parts of people's environments. And I think that's why those controls will always need to be there um, or until everyone's moved off the cloud. Um, and then jumping back to your like, yeah, human question. So I think for me, and, and I'm not, like I can't really speak on behalf of all risk and controls people, but of course automation is better. Um, there's always going to be a human involved, right? Because there's going to be a human that develops the automation. And then whenever you change parts of that, um, it's going to be human again and something could go wrong, but that's why you add in the layers of control on that side. So, you know, shifting left, um, as everyone likes to say, and therefore your control becomes the code review instead. But I, I still think um, if it's possible, it would be a good thing to detect drift, right? In a live environment, if you've got the controls to do that, why would you not? And I think a lot of cloud providers do provide solutions that would hard stop that, right? So um, yeah, I, I think if you can achieve that level of control and you're relying on that one point of failure, you want to protect that as much as possible, or at least I would want to. Yeah, uh, I just want to call out something that you said uh, that uh, to me was... Uh, a key takeaway, actually. Um, so everything that we've been talking about so far, uh, you summed it up very nicely, in my opinion, with two words, which is controls simplification, right? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, essentially the motives behind some of the questions that we're asking. We're talking about, uh, you know, why should we have these things here? Because ultimately the goal is to simplify things and, you know, make the controls easier to, to understand and easier to maintain, right? Um, so yeah, for me, that's a powerful thing to say. Uh, it's a key takeaway as well. But shifting gears a little bit, right? So we've been talking about defense in depth uh, and I kind of want to talk a bit about zero trust because the two uh, can be quite closely linked. So uh, I just want to hear from someone with your experience what you think zero trust is uh, for yourself. And I think you you summarize it quite well. No, it's um, trust nothing and uh, verify everything. Um, but I, I think in, in a cloud environment for me, I guess the main point I'd have there is that means we essentially use an identity as everything, right? So that's how you get into the environment. That's how you do something within the environment. And that's how you see something within the environment. So it's moving away from, in a way it is moving away from like that layered um, network kind of perimeter and moving more to like access as your uh, perimeter, if you can even call it that. Um, but yeah, that, that's my thoughts on it. I mean, in theory, it's not really a new concept. You know, um, if uh, you're coming from the Colo world, uh, we were using things like uh, IP addresses and ports uh, as our identity. And essentially what we were saying is that this IP address uh, coming through this port uh, 
uh, was equal to this application. And, you know, as engineers who assigned these IP addresses and ports to the application, that was us doing our attestation, right? So the, the concept itself is not new. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here, right? Uh, what is uh, evolving, or, or I'm saying needs to evolve, is the fact that we can no longer rely on things like IP addresses um, and ports to be uh, static and and uh, you know uh, predictable, right? Because we're now we've now got more dynamic workflows. Uh, we're moving into the whole container world and whatever you're using to like schedule your workloads, right? It's it's becoming increasingly difficult to predict what your ports and IP addresses are going to be for your workloads so i guess that that's kind of uh where this is going in terms in terms of the whole zero trust shift i don't think that the idea itself is uh an old one and when you kind of think about it i think you said you said it a few times uh about migrating the mindset and i think i've said it myself a lot migrating your mindset is the hardest part about migrating to the cloud right um you know it's there's so many different things that you need to wrap your head around. There's uh, maybe some practices that you need to kind of unlearn and and learn the cloud native way of doing things. You know, like I've been through that myself. Uh, I've worked at companies where we've we've gone from Colo to um, Azure in this case, and you know I was doing stuff like trying to use Zabbix um, uh, for our cloud workloads and running into all sorts of connectivity problems and couldn't understand why. It's because I didn't really understand the difference with the cloud. But as engineers, we kind of have a safety net to kind of learn these things. But uh, from the uh, risk and compliance realms, how do you go about migrating your mindset and how do you ensure that the things that you're automating are in fact the right things to automate? Yeah, so I guess the mindset part is the, is the first piece you mentioned there, right? Um, so for me on a personal level, it was about uh, like hands-on experience and using uh, GCP myself. That was the only way I could really start to understand things. And that's not to say um, I would get any anywhere near the level of um, kind of technical implementation or understanding as, say, a deal would using it day-to-day. This was something I had to kind of do in my own time. Um, the other thing I'd just comment on quickly there is that, you know, risk professionals are expected to, I guess, have a broad understanding Um you get you don't get lots of specialists i'd say and and you do get some but you don't get lots so that means that you may be uh, at one point doing something like gdpr and the next minute you'll be looking at say application security control so you've got this kind of broad um landscape to look at um so i think for them to then specialize in say cloud um it'd be quite a shift and i think it'd be hard to do without getting really hands-on with it um as i say it helped me um, and I forget what the second part of your question was. It was how do we, um, I guess, confirm that the automation is working as expected? So if we're automating control. Yeah, sort of. Uh, like what I mean is like when you're automating the controls, how do you know that it's actually giving you the value that you uh, intended uh, to get out of it. You know, like I, I've done it in the past myself where I've I've written some code mm. uh, to do something and, you know, the code works, right? But it's only delivering half the value that I intended to deliver, right? So uh, that's kind of the point here. Like I've, I've run into this with, with Vault specifically, actually, uh, where sometimes we're talking about... Uh, putting some controls in at a higher level of abstraction 
and uh, someone would say to me, well, actually, we, we don't want to do that. What we want you to do is to write a vault policy to uh, protect against that. And, uh, you know, I always say to people that that is, is uh, quite a risky approach to take uh, because, you know, to, it's hard work to write a good vault policy, right? Uh, I can write a policy uh, which is intended for a purpose. I can test it as much as I like, right? And sometimes we won't find out about the big hole that I've left open until it's too late. So I guess that the real question is, how do you know that you're getting the value out of your automation? Sure. So I think there's probably a few sides to it. Um, because first, what I guess what we're saying is, how do we, if we develop something, let's move away from the fact that it's a control. How do we confirm that it's, it's valid and it's providing value, right? Like that's the starting kind of piece. And like you say, we might write um, tests that, that prove that out, um, or we should write tests that prove that out, right? Um, so that would always be a starting point for me is if you're writing a script that's going to you know perform an operation, you want to be testing it. But as you say, how do you know that you're um, you've not left a, a gap elsewhere. Um, and I think that's where, you know, you can only secure as much as possible and as much as you understand. So it's about, again, and it will come back to the risks. What are the risks? Where do they exist in our environment and how can we control them? Um, and then how do we avoid controlled du duplication? And for me, like controlled duplication is a hard one to avoid um, in some of these big organizations because you have different teams working on different things that will overlap, but they won't speak. Um, so yeah, it, it's a hard one to, there's, there's no solid answer for that, right? Because it stems from software development. How do you ensure that it's providing the value that the business audience intended, for example, or the security audience in this case are, are after? I think actually, uh, one big thing that I'm getting from uh, your answer there is that it's as much about the organizational, uh, structure and culture uh, as it is about the whole migrating your mindset to the cloud like you mentioned that you have different teams working on different things and sometimes they won't talk to each other right um and that is you know that's that's an organizational problem and you know even if you were to restructure the organization that wouldn't necessarily fix it because it's 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 uh something that needs to be embedded into the culture uh, you know we talk about devops for example um uh, one of the big things that we try to do in DevOps is to instill a new culture in the organization where we break down these silos and people are working together a lot more, a lot more collaboration, right? Um, so yeah, that's one of the big things that I'm getting from your answer there. And it's such a key point. I see Adil's got his hands up. So Adil, over to you. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're spot on, Rob, right? At the end of the day, ultimately, most of these stuff really stem from kind of the organizational culture, that, that whole people process uh, and hence why kind of the technology isn't leveraged correct. And on that point, really, I just want to go back to what Jamie was mentioning about, you know, how it helps Jamie by um, really getting himself hands-on on GCP and understanding, oh, okay, it doesn't work like that, it works like this. And so actually, in that case, it's okay kind of thing, right? But then what, what Jamie's also mentioned is that you can't expect every kind of RNC or risk controls, given that they they will be swift, you know, shifted from one uh, project, which is out of GCP to those, let's say, say GDPR or to application security. Yeah? But the thing is, this is where I want to, I, I feel we're looking at it wrong. I think that the, 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 what I feel risking controls doesn't have to be going into that. I mean, what Jamie's done is great, right? And it, it's a bonus uh, and it, it helps put things into perspective. But at the end of the day, right? We, we know why regulations exist, right? And the reason why regulations exist is all about that data, right? Is that PII data. 
from a regulations perspective. From an organization perspective, it's obviously a keeping yourself compliant, but then on top of that, it's about the the business sensitive, you know, competitive data. That data that will, if they leak, it, it it will harm the business itself. So th- those are the two data. If anything, right? And, and Jamie, you know, if disagree with me if you, if you think this hates here, you know, feel free to jump in. But you know, as far as I see, right, the ultimate objective or the ultimate uh, 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 principal objective here is that we want to protect this data, you know, whether it's PII data or, or business sensitive data. Now, at which point? GDPR or application security or GCP, right? If if the common piece here is this data piece, so I think maybe it, and as I said, you know, tell me if it's fair or not here. But I think maybe if risk and controls don't see it as let me pr- try and provide uh, uh, a solution or you know a, a list of all of these controls as a solution. Instead, let me why don't I try and provide say you know these are the risks. If you don't understand the risk, let me help you kind of clarify or elaborate what we mean by this risk. For example, we don't really want sensitive data uh, leaked. Uh, also, you know the whole principle of uh, least privileged access, um, and uh, especially against kind of uh, your PIR data and sensitive data. Now, if we take that on that principle, uh, um, you then have your as a secondary layer at that point, say these specialists, let's just say, and then and I think that these are your enforcers, like Rob, you know, uh, pointed towards right, is those engineering people, right? Now you, you may have uh, you know, and the engineering equivalent, let's just say, for GDPR, yeah, and then your your engineering, uh, your your developers, application security, and then your engineers in GCP. Now, these are obviously you have these kind of three different teams, but they are your enforcers. But the thing is, right, is I feel like if the perspective changes here, say it's about the risks on these data, not about these uh, set of controls, then the, the there is no kind of, as far as contention at this point, because there feels like there's this contention. Oh, I can't get you know into depth of this, so I don't understand it. So it's going to be it's going to take time. But I feel like it's only because you're trying to establish controls here, whereas if you were to establish risks. Which would be pretty much common across all, 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 all different platforms, then there wouldn't be such uh, a, uh, a significant effort that's required. I mean, am I being unfair? Please. So I think maybe the point that you're you're getting at there, if I understand, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, is there there may be a simpler way of doing things. You're looking at is there's a list of things you have to do, and yeah, a, a controls framework is never going to provide that. A controls framework isn't this is the definitive list of the things you're going to do. It's a way of achieving um, certain things. And if you then say, actually, you know, we're not going to do access controls because we've got this magic way of, of stopping something, then great, like explain it, um, you know, obviously document it, it all needs to be testable. Um, so so the point will always be that, yeah, you start with the risks. And I think that's why, and again, keep jumping back to the point earlier where we say we, we sit down, especially in this, because this isn't an audit, right? You know, these sort of teams can, if, if you're going to be embedded into a project, you want to be embedded from the start. You don't want to come back after and then say, okay, these are what we think the risks are, and by which point you've already kind of developed something. You've built a solution. Um, and like you say, you're ready to go. So I think it is key that you're there early doors, um, talking through those risks, confirming what yeah. they actually are. And then you can pinpoint the controls. If you know, Like I say, if, if you've got a different way of achieving the same level of mitigation, then that's a good thing. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, why go for the effort of maintaining the CCM or maintaining this controls framework? This is my point. It's like, I feel like, is it not enough for you to say, look, these are risks, you know, go figure it out and prove to me that you've controlled the risk. Is that not enough? Or, or do you feel like that's too open-ended uh, and that might uh, add, provide some struggles with platform team? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I, I, so I, I think I obviously mean, there is a logistics element here. Yeah. 
I think, you know, that may work for you. And it, and if you can achieve it that way, then that's a good thing. But I think a lot of organizations will rely on like standards, right? Like ISO, um, and they'll need to be certified in those. But that, I, I guess that's a whole nother story. But there are a lot of reasons why these things will exist. They'll help people to achieve a level of control. Um, but yeah, if you, you know, if you think you can achieve the same level without having to, to cycle through it, again, I, I don't see a problem with that. Ultimately, it's about mitigating the risks um, and how you achieve that. So your reason for being prescriptive, well, I say prescriptive here, rather obviously these guidelines, right? It's essentially, you know, it's in your interest for them to meet those meet the uh, um, satisfactory controls of these risks. Is that what is that what it is? So as, as, really, what you're saying is, in an ideal scenario, you don't really care what the control is as long as obviously the risk is being mitigated. But given the amount of effort or uh, you know, adoption that's required from there, I will come up with a set of prescriptive guidelines, you know, because it's in my interest that these risks are mitigated. Is that what you're saying? Um, I, yeah, not, not quite. I guess so. Again, you've got a set of risks. Um, it won't just be, it, or it shouldn't just be a case of, here's a set of controls that you have to use to mitigate, right? And I think ultimately, whatever you implement is going to map into something from CCM if you you looked at it. Like, I don't think there's anything they would have missed missed off there. So um, I don't think it's like you'd be doing anything groundbreaking where you've created a control that doesn't exist in one of these libraries. Um, but I think ultimately, they're there to provide guidance and support if it's needed. Um, and it will, of course, a, a tester would use that to go in and say, okay, then how do you do this? And then you would turn around in your case, again, the firewall case, someone comes to you and says, how, you know, have you got firewalls on these devices? And you say, no, why would I? I've got them at the GCP firewall layer. Okay, great. Then that control is met or that control objective is met because it shouldn't be that the control objective is a control description. It shouldn't be that the control objective says how you should implement it. It should just be that it's something that's helping you to mitigate that risk. Um, so if it's stopping certain traffic coming in and you've achieved that another way, that's, again, you've met the control objective. But, but that's the thing, right? It's that, so the control objective, for example, from what I understood and remembered was that, oh, there must be network segmentation. Now, obviously, you said, okay, I've used GCP firewall to do that. But what if I told you, I'm, I'm not using GCP firewall, actually. You know, I'm not even going to bother with network segmentation. Because at the moment, at this point, that then, then really, I haven't met your control objective because your control objective is a segment network. Now, I'm trying to dig deep. Is why do you want network segmentation? Because uh, what is the principal objective behind that one it's, it's, it's really the key here right and i feel even though we, we seem to be agreeing but you know let's let's put it into perspective here right is that are you comfortable with having two different applications which from two different businesses right have no relation to each other but they're on the same network uh, um, and technically speaking in the network they can talk to each other from a network layer however um each application they kind of authenticate to each other, right? Now, if we look at your control objective, your control objective says there must be network segmentation. So I haven't met that control objective. Is that is that is that right? I guess in in that particular case, probably. Um, but again, coming back to the purpose of these frameworks and being broad, is they're not there just for your specific scenario. And I think that's important to recognize, right? So if you then put that into another environment, are you, are you going to have the same answer from an engineering perspective? I think I know what's happened here. Because um, obviously in, our, in, in, in my experience, anyways, it, it sound, almost sounds like security team who you seem to be dealing with a lot or, or you know, risk control seems to be dealing with a lot, right? And, and essentially have become this de facto enforcer 
are like, well, we're gonna we're gonna enforce everyone to um, put these controls in. I don't care if he, if if he's already met. I still want you to do it because it's it's better because you know defense in depth or because zero trust. And, and it sounds like almost like actually risk controls controls are saying, look, we're good. You've met it at any a level. We're good. But security, like, no, no, we still want to add more. Why you know, oh, I, 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 I it would be unfair for me to ask Jamie to agree on that, <laughs> but yeah, and it's hard to say exactly how you get to that sort of state, right? Where where there's um, yeah, some sort of of I guess misunderstanding to a level um, or misrepresentation of what something is trying to achieve. Because again, and you come back to it, there um, it is ultimately about the risk. So that's what we should be trying to mitigate. Um, yeah, we're going to use controls to do it, but it shouldn't it shouldn't be a checklist, right? Yeah, I think I think I think I understand uh, where Jamie is coming from, right? So, in general, when when you're giving guidance, you tend to give examples, right? Um, and I feel like the framework that that you're talking about, maybe that's actually the objective. When they have all these controls, is this kind of giving examples of of how something can be achieved. As for what you go away and implement, well, as long as um, you can satisfy your regulatory requirements that becomes an internal business kind of uh, approval process, right? Um, and if, you know, you can demonstrate these things internally, but still uh, security and risk and compliance are not happy with that, then I think you, you have this challenge of, you know, selling a new mindset, right? Which is ultimately, we keep coming back to this mindset, uh, this mindset piece. That's, that's basically what it is. I mean, I've learned so much just listening to, um, the way that you think about these things, Jamie, and, and your experiences uh, working in that kind of discipline. And maybe some of your, uh, some, some of the secondhand experiences that I'm taking in just through some of your colleagues that you've worked with in the past. Um, so we are reaching time now. Um, so we are going to do a round of final thoughts. I'm going to give it back to my co-host, Adil, just for some final thoughts and any summaries that you want to add in there. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I, definitely. I mean, it's, I've learned so much here because... I mean, the last time Jamie and I have worked, we've just gone straight into the meat of the of the topic, right? It's like, okay, let's let's look at this application, blah blah blah. So, really, Jamie and I haven't really had this opportunity to actually start talking on a high level. What is it that we both teams want to achieve? And that in itself, it, it really highlights the need for this whole people and processes piece. And I think really, it sounds like that this is the gap. Uh, um, and this is. Again, it's not pointing at any certain team. Rather, let's let's say it's an org as a whole, and that org as a whole from the top down needs to kind of drive that collaboration. So I think this is what I'm really taking away from that. Yeah, and I mean from my side, it's been good to hear Dill's thoughts over the last um, couple of episodes. Kind of sat there thinking, I'm pretty sure that conversation wasn't with me. Um, but no, it, it's it's definitely good to hear, and I think. There's a lot to be said about, because um, Adil had mentioned to me before, kind of have a think about what you would say to other RNC teams going on this journey. And I think the the really crucial thing, and it was the first point I noted, and I think it's one of the first things Adil mentioned today, is just being there early, but then also kind of having full alignment. So I think you ideally want to have a team that's big enough that they can kind of um, pair up on a particular product and really own that with the engineers, right? So it's almost like an extension of your DevSecOps team where you have that person who, um, you know, they're, they're not going to tell you what the, they're not going to be able to tell you what the implementation is going to be exactly, but they're going to help you to get to a state where you've got that. And I guess in the first instance, understand what the risks are associated with that product. So yeah, it's kind of getting in early and um, 
and being aligned, I think, is very important. We we're gonna have to talk about that on another show, though. But you've you've lived it a few times now. But yeah, basically that whole success piece around product development approach. But yeah, that's for another another day. I think I've got one final final question, just based on your closing comments. There is you. Well, actually, it's two questions, but kind of similar. You've gone from uh, kind of risk and compliance into um, uh, development now, so you, you've changed discipline um, in the time. Uh, since you, you've uh, moved from one role into a totally different role. Would you say that your mindset towards these things um, has evolved? Um, and my second question is, you know, you and Adil have worked together on specific projects in the past, right? Um, now you've listened back to some episodes of, of Keeping It Secure and, and HashiCast, um, and you've heard Adil speak on certain things. Do you think that you may have done things a little bit different had some of these conversations occurred back then? Um, so in terms of, I guess, experience since leaving that kind of world of, of hybrid roles and, yeah, you know, kind of half risk and control, half whatever else, data analysis and, and um, software kind of development, it, I, I think I've definitely um, learned a lot more like in terms of cloud and, and how things work, how we're deploying things. But I think the biggest thing is more around CICD and the, the power of it. Um, because if you've not used it and you've not contributed to it, I don't really believe that you can actually understand how powerful it can be. So that's been a nice a nice thing for me to, to kind of get my head around and really get hands on with. Um, and then you can start to think about, okay, how controls could work in that flow. Um, and I think without getting really involved, sometimes it's, it's not that easy to do. Um, so second thing, in terms of things that could have been done differently, um, I think we, we've touched on the main one. Uh, I've probably mentioned it quite a few times now, but it is being at the start of the project, like being there from the start and really embedding those controls into the design. They shouldn't be an afterthought and they shouldn't be manual ideally um, unless they really need to be. Um, and the other thing is obviously making sure the budget for these teams is big enough because there's a lot of work to do, right? This isn't... Um, Again, it's not like a short, sharp audit, for example, where you just go in, sample a set of controls. We're talking about moving an entire organization uh, on-prem into the cloud. You're not going to achieve that with a small team. Um, one of developers, you're not going to achieve that with a small team, but two of, of kind of controls professionals around them. So it's just about um, yeah, making sure that kind of budgeting and, and people side of things is, is there. Absolutely. Well, I think it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you today. Um, I wish you know, we, this conversation could go on for several hours. I have so many follow-up questions. Uh, maybe at some point we can bring you back. Um, but regardless, I think we should continue the conversation offline at least. And, um, you know, anyone that's listening that has any thoughts on, on the things that have been discussed, please reach out to us. Um, please share your thoughts. Uh, please agree with us, disagree with us. That's, that's the whole point of this, you know, just through speaking to Jamie, I, I've learned a lot my mindset is is a bit more mature now just just from an hour conversation and that's the real value of these things here so i want to say a big thank you to jamie uh, i also want to thank my co-host uh, devops adil and uh, most importantly i want to thank the listeners for joining us and we will catch you on the next one peace out you've been listening to keeping it secure with your host devops rob and devops adil be sure to join us next time 